The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestaryouare.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, hello, party partners, and welcome to radio's finest hour of power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive book talk with authors and experts that will help you excel in life. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And we are always so excited to be your personal growth success coaches right here on the airwaves with you every week. We want you to pump your energy, love, learn, laugh, listen, and, of course, live your dreams by reading great books and listening to positive media. We really have a fantastic show today for you that's going to inspire you to color your world by using your talents and gifts to help others. Heather and I are going to show you how Color is Earth's natural healer in segment one. And lifelong medical healer, Dr. Richard Valeriat, will join us in segment two with his memoir, Alice Street. And our third segment brings us world traveler and woman's advocate, Sharon Sabota, with her book, The Journey of Life. So we welcome you on our global adventure today. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to be the star of your own life. For more information on getting your private consultation in person or over the phone, visit uh, star-style.com or call 925-377-7827. And the miracle moment is, no matter where you go or what you pursue, always live with integrity. And that is something that, Heather, you and I do every day, right? Yes, of course. Get up in the morning and we want to help others and inspire others. Well, we're going to talk about color and how it not only inspires us but heals us, can change change our life perspective. The origins of color therapy stretch across the continents and across the centuries. In fact, in ancient Egypt, patients were treated in rooms that were designed to break up the sun's rays into the colors of the spectrum. In ancient Greece, they used colored garments, oils, plasters, ointments, even salves to treat people based on the balance of reds, yellows, whites, blacks, and bodily fluids. Chinese medicine has used the energy of colors to restore balance. And color therapy is really gaining a resurgence here in the West because Colors are the catalyst for our feelings and our moods, and the right colors can stimulate, they can relax, they can recall happy memories, and they help us reflect on how we relate to others. So, Heather, I wanted to talk about the properties of color and how we can all learn to heal, grow, and expand by using the right colors appropriately and in the right timing. Exactly. And it's fascinating that you brought up the whole thing about uh, color therapy and color psychology, actually, um, because as we know, um, and we're going to be discussing it, you know, regarding in, in uh, interior design, but it, it, it goes beyond that because, as you know, certain colors stimulate certain emotions in us. Um, and, it, and it all goes to, I believe it's the hypothalamus gland, the hypothalamus, I can, I can never pronounce them, but there's certain Gland and the, 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 the hypocamus. We'll have to ask Dr. Valera that hypocamus <laughs> gland. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's particular gland. There's particular parts of the brain um, that are stimulated by various things, by various emotions. And as we know, colors have a big thing that for you know, just use for example, the color red when we think of passion or anger and light. And, but also, red, um, oddly enough, what they discover is it stimulates hunger. 
And red has been shown to increase blood pressure and stimulate um, adrenaline glands. That's just why, you know, in the running of the bulls with the, with the red, the toro, and, um, and when these are stimulated, it's a very strong, it's a very strong feeling. Well, and, you so, know, it also promotes energy, and it's considered a color of empowerment and uh, stimulation, which would go for what you were saying as far as stimulating your hunger. And physically, it's thought to improve your circulation and stimulate the red uh, blood cell production. And, you know, red is the color that we use for the charity Be The Star You Are as well as the color of our books, Be The Star You Are and Be The Star You Are for Teens. And that's because it symbolizes empowerment. When people see it, it draws their eye to it, and they feel good about themselves. Is that, and when, uh, another thing too is looking uh, palette-wise, trying to think of what are the colors in your world um, and what are the colors. If you're choosing you know, to, to do a house, for example, of colors you might. So that you have your warm colors, cold colors, earth tones, and then accents and background colors. And your warm colors would be yellow, orange, red. Cold colors are greens and blues. And earth tones, you know, we know that the browns, beiges, and accent and background colors just tend to be blacks and whites. And though um, those are actually, every single color is equally as powering. So one thing we were talking about earlier, we were discussing about um, the color yellow and how yellow, you know, we think of sunshine. A lot of things when we relate to color, we, relert, we relate them to earth things. Um, just as I discussed in an earlier tea for two about eat like the rainbow because color equals nutrition. When we think about color and we think about how it stimulates us, we often makes us think of something that's out there in our real world situation. So, for example, yellow. The first thing when I hear the word yellow, I think sunshine. I think bright, sunny, you know, mellow yellow. I I feel a good feeling when I think of yellow. Oddly enough, you know, when I think of clothes or something, I think, oh, that's a tough color to wear. But it stimulates the nervous system and the mind, and it makes objects seem closer and larger. Um, hence the sun, for example. It seems closer and larger, and it's bajillion miles away from us. And, and it's it does, as you were saying, it does uh, help people feel warm, just like the sun rays do. And in the healing aspect, yellow is thought to have decongestant and antibacterial properties, so it's useful in stimulating both a digestive system and the lymphatic system. Yeah, so, and, um, and then from, I like to always talk about from the book standpoint, since we're a literacy uh, show here, it is associated with wisdom and with clarity. So yellow is another uh, a great color. Every color is a great color, and they all have something different to share. But and, that is the, yellow, those are the two colors, the yellow and red, that we are using for sure. Exactly. And yellow, speaking um, of it in an interior design aspect, um, yellow is a really good room, a really good color to use for smaller rooms, such as a bathroom, uh, because it can be sometimes, you know, as we said, certain things can be overpowering. There's always the keys of moderation, and a giant yellow room. Um, might seem a little, you know, irritant almost. So try a great thing is to bring sunshine into a room where there usually isn't a lot of sunshine. So oftentimes um, bathrooms and houses or places aren't, um, are unfortunate enough not to have a window in them. So that's a great place to give um, a real earthy tone to lighten it up and bring kind of sunshine into a small capacity. Uh, another thing is orange. Orange stimulates the mind and provides an emotional lift. And orange, um, oddly enough, as has been proven, it stimulates the sexual organs as well, and it's beneficial to the digestive system, and it can actually strengthen your immune system. And, and you know, uh, and I want to just jump in there yeah. with orange, is the variations of orange, uh, like a pink, a, a peach color, is considered one of the best colors for your bedroom for that exact reason about having it have <laughs> stimulate sexuality exactly. Wonderful. Um, one that we already discussed with, with reds with greens. Green actually is known to lower blood pressure, which is all I know because I think greens. I think vegetables. I think I'm trying to get my patients to eat those greens. Um, to lower those BPs. And, and of course, today we think about the green movement and how exactly. we're erasing the geographic color boundaries, you know, with the, uh, this emergence of the global, uh, the global palette and saving the earth. And as regarding earth tones up with it, is that it, it kind of creates this essence 
of freshness. That's why we always say go green. We felt this only almost like a, a cleanliness. Um, and it said it's just it's good for your heart and overall um, thing. I tend to and, think something like that would be good. Green is also associated with creating balance in your life. And it, as far as healing too, it's also supposed to be antiseptic, kind of a germicide, and have antibacterial properties. Mmm, I like. Well, and that all goes with being earth friendly, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I was just saying about going green. Right, going green. Um, what they do with so um, on aspects of with the earth tones, the next our next big earth tone would be blue, and blue oddly enough is known um, to to unstim to make you actually not hungry. And I've actually heard this before. They sell these special plates, you know, that that are in proportion size, and they're colored for different ways, and their plates are blue. And now they kind of make perfect sense uh, regarding that it makes you not hungry and that it diminishes appetite. And it can, I'm, I'm speaking of all the different ranges of blue, you know, there's ocean blue, navy blue, royal blue, baby blue. There's so many different variations of it. But when you think of you know, kind of that deep royal blue, it tends to make rooms kind of feel more formal. So it could be good um, for a dining area. But, again, always um, be cautious when using um, kind of rich colors uh, in, in a big space because it can feel overwhelming and it can take something from feeling uplifting to good. Um, to almost kind of upsetting and over for for us, I know in our house, um, everyone just loves it. But we have the downstairs, the living room area. Every wall is a different color, um, but one is yellow, one's red. Uh, I believe we have like a light green, and it's a really fun variation that it kind of creates all these different um, all these different uh, rooms in one. And yet other rooms are kind of more settled colors, and our smaller bathrooms tend to have, um, you know, the speckled, bright colors. Uh, it's just going to key with interior design. You would probably know best um, when choosing your palette, when choosing your colors. Uh, be careful because sometimes those little color swatches, you have to imagine uh, how that little square makes you feel, but how will, you know, 100 square feet of it make you feel. That's such so, a great point, Heather, when you're talking about color in your home, too, is very often, you know, colors that you wear, you may not want to put on your walls. So if you're going to do something like that, do start with a, paint it on your walls, look back, and then decide later and look at it in all lights of day. You know, and in that, I would like, I just, before you go on and talk about other colors, I wanted to say there's been some studies done about the palettes of regions throughout the United States. And, for example, the Pacific Northwest, we can probably imagine, they have more green colors. Um, designers there tend to favor the warm, nature-inspired colors, and they're mostly more in the greens, whereas in the Southwest, they go with the more natural desert colors. And people on the coast tend to like the beach colors, which were, are more, you know, the blues and aquas, et cetera. In New England, they tend to go with the colonial and, of course, seaside colors. Uh, in the southeast, it's light coastal colors and more tropicals. Like if you get down to, uh, to Florida, for example, they want more tropical, warm colors. Then uh, the south, of course, is warm but neutral, interestingly enough. And then the Midwest would be probably exactly what everyone would expect. Very earth tones, very neutral, not too way out there. We tend to be a little bit more wild on the coasts, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that actually, you know, that's amazing of making something. I definitely see that living in, in the beach area, um, the tones of the house, or how people even inside-wise, though the beach is only a couple blocks from their house, they will have murals or images. You know, it looks like a beachy house. You can kind of bring it away from you. And one thing I always get is white walls. White walls can tend to be this stark, kind of overwhelming, headache color, but it can also be a great contrast and actually bring out the color. So white can be really good for, you know, maybe like a walk-in or a room where you just have particular art pieces. Um, hence, if you have some kind of red, deep red statue and you really want to exaggerate um, the item, place that against a white wall, it's going to pop out. So it's just kind of product placement of being careful 
about what you want in there. Sometimes, you know, there's a real clean, a freshness, a welcoming feeling about white linens. People tend to think clean white linens. So maybe you want to do a bed in white, but not have the walls all white with it too. You know, that's well, what you, you know, I think it was a real trend that's happening is we're living in frantic times. We're we're having a tough recession right now. People seem to feel the need to to nest a bit more, they need more calmness, they were looking for sanctuary. So I do think that people are, are hunting more for some grounding. They might want more nature-inspired palettes, and they may want neutrals to, uh, to calm down the nerves. But then again, you might want to have some bright, happy hues to lift us up when you're feeling depressed because there's nothing worse than you know, kind of just being surrounded by neutrals if you really need kind of a bold, of, uh, you know, a deep, bold color. So it's really good to incorporate all of it and really look at who you are and what you like before you decide what you're going to put in your home. And I just know for me personally regarding colors, color, I think I'm very much, I kind of mood ring my wardrobe sometimes um, that, you know, when I'm feeling, you know, when I'm feeling really good, you know, I want to wear bright and fresh kind of colors and florals and neons to kind of play with things. And when not so much, that's when I'm wearing lots of black or brown and just kind of doled out colors. And it's interesting. I, I think people on a subconscious level, um, you know, really, we really wear our emotions without even with just with the simple items of choosing your, your wardrobe every day. Um, and I just know for me, it's kind of that fake it till you make it time that sometimes if I put on something and I like the color or um, it makes me it makes me feel better, or just simple accents, you know, the flowers, and it's not even the, the essence of the flowers, but it's the coloration of the flowers. Um, just that visual stimulation, you know, will make me feel better. So that's a really great thing if you're in an office of stress-wise to have a, a potted plant or flowers in there. Not only does it get in fresh oxygen for you, um, but it's uplifting to have that's some gonna make you feel good. Real well, life. We're already mm-hmm. out of time, as always. So I would like you to give out the website. Most definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com, CarmeniClutches.com, both of the K, and MySpace.com, forward slash CarmeniClutches, both of the K. And when we return from break, we're going to be talking to a lifelong dedicated healer and author, Dr. Richard Valeriat, with his memoir of growing up in a poor immigrant family to being successful and living his dreams. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Ray. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit. Now, don't you go away, because Alice Street is coming right up. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a change maker when you dare to care by supporting Be the Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. 
You are listening to Star I Style, Be the, the Star You Are with Cynthia Bryan. I am your personal growth coach, and every week, Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Through improved literacy and positive message programming, such as this radio show, because there's an apathy sweeping our country. And Be the Star You Are believes that stories of inspiration and hope should be available to everyone, regardless of income or ability. And believing that inspiration infused with inspiration has the power to transform and change lives, Be the Star You Are provides role models for everyone. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to see how you can help. And talking about role models, you know, when we meet an accomplished person, it may seem second nature, just just assume that that person was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. This is especially true when we meet esteemed, successful physicians. Dr. Richard Valeriat grew up dirt poor. He was the 15th of 16 children in an Italian immigrant family in a small town in Canada. And despite debilitating illnesses, family tragedies, and the lack of funds, Dr. Valeriat pursued his dream of attending university and becoming a family doctor by working hard, asking for help, and never giving up. And he has recorded his journey to success in this heartwarming memoir, Alice Street. Welcome, Dr. Valeriat, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hello. Can you hear me okay, Richard? Yes, I can hear you very well. Oh, great. It is such a pleasure to have you here on the show. I mean, and what a fantastic memoir you penned. Now, Alice Street is part of the Footprint series by McGill University, which I understand is chronicling the extraordinary Canadians past and present who are leading uh, fascinating lives, and you certainly have. How did writing this book come about? Oh, I just decided that it was something that had to be put down to print after living it you know, all those years, and, <laughs> and I thought well, it was kind of singular, so I just started writing. Well, your family immigrated from uh, San Giorgio Morgato in Calabria in Italy, which today is a charming tourist destination that you talk about in your book, Alice Street. But in 1900, when it, people started immigrating, it was a pretty hard scrabble life. Could you kind of re- tell us a little bit you, uh, fr- from your book of how your family got to um, North America? Well, they saved up enough just to make the trip. I can't remember. I think the boat was a Volcani or something like that way back in 1903. And, but they had a, uh, there was a person who went around the, the city in Italy offering them jobs in uh, various factories in Canada. And that was enough to get them there. Once they hit, uh, hit Ellis Island, and they then moved on up into Canada. They had a job offer to start with. That's why they came. Now you said that you have in seen the in the records at Ellis Island that the name uh, was sometimes not said as, as written as Valeriot, but was it Valeriotti? Right. They used to be TTI. And then the fellow at Ellis Island, when after we stamped them in, said, "You're in the United States now. Let's change that to TE." So it's more. Anglicized, so they they changed it at his request to TTI to TE, so that's the way it's remained now for the last hundred years. And that happened a lot, I believe, when people got to Ellis Island, that they tried to kind of take away a little bit, maybe of the quote unquote negative stigma of being an immigrant. But the reality is, is that you're proud, you know, proud of your past. Right. Well, be, by the time you were born in 1929, six of your siblings had already died, which was right. tragic. There was just a, a very big uh, infant or young people mortality in those days. Right. Every time they, they had no antibiotics in those days, so when someone got something, that was it. You know. and if one if child, I had course, been born then, I would have been one of those for sure, I'm <laughs> sure. Now, your dad owned a grocery, um, and he was really doing quite well until the Depression hit. And then, because he was kind and he led, uh, lent credit out to everyone, he faltered in his business, and it actually led to a Great Depression for him. But your mom kept her motto up all the time of Dio lo vuole, which I guess is, you know, it was everything was God's will. Right. No matter what happened, it was God's will. Yes. So and you, and you had to actually, now you spoke Italian at home where actually it was the dialect, right? A, a Calabrese right. dialect? Right, Calabrese dialect, right. And and there were many people on Alice Street that weren't they weren't only Italians. You had 
Scots and English and uh, Hungarians, and and there were people from all walks of life. Everything, right. What was it like growing up there? Tell us more about it. Well, it was. Uh, I'm five years, six years old before I go to school, and they're talking a different language because, you know, at home, my folks only spoke Italian, so you learn real fast. And uh, the letters they're writing on the board are all in English, and you learn very quickly. So that, 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 there's no problem. Uh, the most of the people were Italian, I must say. There were Irish and uh, Scotch and French and and and, and uh, Hungarian and German and so forth, but. They were in the minority. Most of the most of the people, I would say, half of them or sixty percent of them were were Italian on the street. And a good portion of them were also Catholic. I and mean, a lot of the boys that you hung out were were altar boys, just as you were. Right, but I would say, but ninety five percent of them were Catholic, right? But then you know you ha- you recalled in your first of all in your uh, book Alice Street, we're talking to Dr. Richard Valeriat who wrote this wonderful memoir about growing up on Alice Street in Canada. In uh, how do you pronounce the name of the town? Gulf? Uh, Guelph. G U E L P. The Guelph. The Guelph. This comes from the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. Remember the the war that was fought in northern Italy. The Guelphs yeah. and the Ghibellines. Yeah. Was, so that's uh, what that was. Well, right. when World War Two hit, you there was um, you tell a story about a teacher that came in who was she was brought back from retirement, and she was actually quite prejudiced and. And there was some. She uh, she failed you on your very first on a class that obviously you obviously didn't fail on this one test. But she was trying to show. Um, I guess it would just be a discrimination against being an Italian and being a Catholic. Right. This was overt discrimination. I think in the whole world you have discrimination, but this was something that was overt, and she didn't uh, make any bones about it. She asked all the people who weren't English, Irish, or Scots to stand up which was an unusual request, so I stood up, and along with some uh, Hungarian boy and Japanese boy and, and Greek fellows, and, and uh, stood up, and then well, I sat down, and she said, I just want all the students to realize who their, stu- who their classmates are. So I sat down, and then she said, well, all those who are not uh, Protestants stand up. <laughs> I stood up again. I was a Catholic. There was a Greek Orthodox boy and, and a couple of Jewish boys, and so we were standing up, and everyone else was sitting down. And so we sat there, and I said, this is strange. I've never, and all the other teachers have never encountered this. And she just said that I wanted everybody to, the classmates, to realize who their, their other classmates are. So that was it. So was, and was, did this have something to do then with the fact that at the time we were fighting the Germans and the Japanese and the Italians? Italian, right. or, the war was, was on. It, she had was, a son in the Dover Patrol who was shot at all the time by the German Air Force. And she worried about not a son, a nephew, and she worried about him. And of course, uh, uh, I guess he just felt I was Italian, and I was really one of the enemy. Right, um, you were uh, the enemy. What do we you know? Whatever ended up happening to her? Well, she, she had been she had been retired, but she was. The principal explained to me when when I went down because he called me down to the office. He knew there was something wrong. That she was had been superannuated, which I'd never heard the word before. But superannuated means well, you're. Forget about the age we're bringing you back out of retirement because there was a war on. There are no teachers. And she was a much elderly lady, and I guess she was getting a little sun out as well. But uh, he apologized to me for her actions, and he said, get the paper back. We'll have it read. Well, of course, she lost it. Next morning, she right. still lost it. Conveniently lost it, right? Pardon? Pardon? She conveniently lost it. Right. And my French teacher asked I'd get it back, too, because Mr. Garland said, we'll have that paper reread. Well, we never found the paper. So suddenly I'm called down to the principal's office, and he tells me that uh, this is a big mistake. And uh, uh, next morning, Ms. This, I won't give you her name, but she called and said, I'd like you to come up. I'm going to give you another exam. I want you to read Macbeth this summer. School's over. And then I'll give you an exam in August, an oral exam in August. So I read Macbeth, and she passed me. She gave me a grade of 60 after changing to 38. So at least that you were able to get a passing grade. Oh, well, yes, you yes, know what's yes. so interesting throughout you have uh, throughout your book is all the different experiences, and uh-huh. it sounds like because your family was so large that um, you didn't have a lot of time with your father, especially when he started to his health went downhill and his emotional life went downhill. Right. But you had that very funny experience of going out hunting with him. 
one time in the snow, <laughs> right, right, yeah. which you yeah. never actually did get um, catch any rabbits or anything, no, it was but it's a memory that you always there. recall. Right. It was the middle of the road, middle of summer, winter, makes no drifts. There wasn't anything in sight. It was just my mother's idea that he should spend some time with me. And she just berated him until he finally gave up and took me out hunting. And there was no hunting. We just walked on the middle of a country road with five-foot snow banks on either side. Nothing possibly could move, nothing. But I was glad to go out with him and have the gun in my hand. And he took the, I came back. My mother asked him, what did you get anything? And he said, nobody out there with two fools. This is all in Italian, of course. Nobody out there with two fools walking in the snow with nothing there. Now, when did you actually decide that you really wanted to pursue, you know, your, a college education, and, and especially you thought about going to medical school? I mean, you had no money by now. Your dad had had, had to turn over the grocery to your brother Dominic. Um, you had no funds. He was going to pay you, what was it, five cents a, a week or something? A dollar ten a week, of which a dollar had to go to pay off the bicycle for 42 weeks that was bought for me to right. pay for groceries. And then I had 10 cents left over. My mother took five cents of that for the poor box. Right. You so had, had so you ended up with five cents. That's all you were going to have. Five cents for working all week. Yeah, yeah. That was for working all week. Yeah, of so course, I was supporting your, the family, your too. Your path to medical school, I just think this is so inspirational because so many people say, oh, I can never do that or I don't have the funds for that. Mm. But the reality is where there's a will, there's a way, and you had a will. And right. you learned to ask for help. You hitchhiked places. You worked all kinds of crazy jobs. Yeah. You had, what, 40-some people? 41. I, I, borrowed, I borrowed money from 41 people to get through school. 41? And on that, when you get to get money from 41 people, you have to knock on the 150 doors. <laughs> you don't, not everybody lends you money, especially to a practically a total stranger, you know. So uh, I got some money by standing in front of the bank, uh, recognizing people, friends of the family, and so forth, and, and they would lend me money. The most notable one was Mr. Pagani, the contractor. And he, he lent me money twice. And then well, the high and, school principal. And I think what was the most amazing is that within six years after you had finished school, you had paid back every loan. Some right. were given to you as gifts because right. they were so proud yeah, of you. Yeah, one was given to me as a gift. I paid you back were good, 40. You were good on your word, which is something that mm-hmm. we all have to learn, I think, today. Right. Uh-huh. It was all about integrity. Right. Uh-huh. I want to talk about how you met your wife, Polly, and you have been together uh, for all these years, and you have your wonderful family, and then you decided to get out of the cold and come to California, mm-hmm. but before that, you had gotten tuberculosis. That was something um, that I never knew that you could get tuberculosis in the kidneys. I always thought tuberculosis was in the lungs. No, it starts in the lung. You could cough, somebody coughs, and you get it in the lung. And I obviously had it in the lung maybe a few years before I got it in med school, and it went away. And uh, then I ended up in, uh, about uh, two, four, six years later uh, in my kidney. The, and in the book, as you recall, there was a Japanese boy brought in from Vancouver. During, after Pearl Harbor, all the Japanese were moved from the West Coast in Canada to the interior, so they wouldn't be sabotaging the, the um, seaports. One of them family came to my hometown. Sam Sugimori sat in front of me. They were nice people, and Sam sat in front of me, and he coughed all the time he was there. And I didn't think much about it, you know. And to my left was Jack Howard, to my right was Annabelle Pethick, and myself behind him. Ten years later, when our high school reunion, find out that Sam, Sam went in the sand with tuberculosis. Jack Howard had tuberculosis in the kneecap, patella. Annabelle had it in her lung, and I had it in the kidney. We surrounded this kid in class, and this is why the, four, the, the three of us got it from him. I didn't know that till 10 years later. And what I found so interesting is you had to uh, you had to lose one year of school, you had to stay in a sanitarium. Right. So your new wife with your your new little daughter Kathy, you they stayed nearby with your mom. Right. And but when you went back to school, you were asked to look at a brain and to say what was wrong with it. Oh, that was the first day first day back in the new class, I didn't know anybody in the class because I was a year, a year behind, and we were down in the pit in the pathology, and the pit is a big amphitheater with the table and the professor down there with some specimens on the table, and he looked around and he called me, which I thought was strange. I'm a new guy, about 120 guys, how come he called me? I went down without thinking anything about it, and he picks it up and he says, what's this? And I said, that's a brain, sir. And then 
Well, what, what do you notice about this brain? It's kind of small. Why? Well, it's a child's brain, okay? What else do you know about it? Well, it's kind of dirty. What do you mean? Well, it's raggedy. There's, 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 the outside is smooth. He said, why do you that? I said, why do you suppose? Well, it must be some kind of infection. And what kind of infection would do that? I said, well, uh, uh, granulomas infection. What likely granulomas infection do? I said, well, tuberculosis. And then it hit me why he called me. He knew that I would go through this rote and, and, uh, and uh, tell him the answer because I had TV myself. So that was the uh, that was the upshot of that. And that was that was just so amazing that it, that you recognized it just you know right there and then. Well, so then after, so you 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 finished at McGill. You graduated from medical school. You decided to be a, a family practitioner, and then after uh, working for a while in another place, you had you and the family headed to California, and you've never looked back. What no, was right. it like to work in California for all your career? What was it like? Yes. Well, I, I tell you, I was warm. I, I think you have to understand that I was in Canada for the first 28 years. Then I went to Flint, Michigan for my internship. And Flint in Michigan is just as cold as Guelph. And all I remember was being cold, chronic ear infections. Of course, then I had a mastoid. I had my, I lost my right ear from mastoid chronic ear infections. And then the tuberculosis. And I thought, somebody's trying to tell me something. I better get out of here. So, so I, I, I was on the... Listening to the New Year, New Year uh, broadcast, and they were talking about Pasadena was, uh, and uh, the, the Rose Bowl parade, and they, it was this was on January 1st in Canada, and they said, "Here we are in sunny Pasadena," and I thought, "Wherever the sunny Pasadena is, that's where I'm going because I've had enough of all this ice and snow." So I've left there at 28, and I haven't gone back. I've been down here for 60 for 52 years now. And well, and I have to tell now I can uh, I'll admit to the audience I have known Dr. Valeriat for a very long time and his fabulous family. And you may not remember this, um, but when I was a little girl, you saved my life. And one of the things that you learned, you say that at McGill University, that some of that that one of their strengths is is diagnosing illnesses and after i had had bumps i was very very ill with high fever and very sick and you diagnosed it with meningitis and encephalitis and sent me off to a hospital to be healed and for that i am extremely grateful and always will be and i just want to uh congratulate you again dr valeriat for this book the name of the book is alice street is there a website. I know all the proceeds are going to McGill University, and when you do book signings, they go to different programs. I think you can get this on Is Amazon. Is there a website you want to send our listeners to? Yes, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble handle it here in, in town. Okay, so and, and I think, you can uh, go to Amazon.com, or you could also go to McGill Queens University Press, which is www.mqup.ca. Well, it's been so much fun having you on the show with us, and I wish you and Polly and the family just loads of success and love, and you're just great people, and I think you're a great role model to show how you can come from nothing and become something and inspire the world while you're doing it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. When we come back, we're going to continue going around the world when you meet our next guest, Sharon Sabota. She's written The Journey of Life, so grab a globe and travel with me. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, and we'll be back in a minute. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Are you passionate about life? If not, why not? People who are using their passion to run their lives are happier, more fun-loving, and have less stress. Do you know how to turn your passions into profits? First of all, write down what you love to do. Don't worry if it seems crazy or impossible. Dream the dream. Write the plan. Eliminate the naysayers in your life. All you need is one honest, supportive person to be your cheerleader. Get the skills you need. This may mean going back to school, finding a mentor, or hiring a coach. Go into action to launch your business. 
No one's going to knock on your door. It's up to you to act. Then believe in yourself and all the possibilities. If you're having fun, others will too. And with enough patience, courage, and perseverance, the profits will come rolling in. You'll feel alive because you've discovered your passion. When you find your passion, you find your life. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style Productions. For more information, visit star-style.com. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, welcome back, and thank you for staying with me. Our purpose in providing you this show is to communicate to you that you already possess everything you need to be the producer, the writer, the director, and the star of your life. We want you to smile, have fun, and be willing to take risks and be wild and wacky. We also want you to read some books that maybe you've never heard of, as an author, I do have five bestsellers, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, Be the Star You Are, Be the Star You Are for Teens, The Business of Show Business, and Miracle Moments. So visit com to order autographed copies with all the money going to charity to improve literacy and empower women, families, and youth. Well, meeting people and learning what inspires and motivates them to be who they are and do what they do is a definite passion of mine as a journalist and radio personality. This past week, I attended a Chamber of Commerce meeting at the esteemed St. Mary's College in California, where I met an extraordinary young woman, the director of the Women's Resource Center. I had initially approached her to see how Be the Star You Are Charity and the Women's Resource Center could possibly connect and collaborate, but wow, I was rewarded with so much more. Besides being the center's director, Sharon Saboda is a journalist herself who has traveled the world interviewing people from every walk of life. She has written a beautiful book, The Journey of Life, 100 Lessons from Around the World, and she is with us now to share some of her stories. Welcome, Sharon, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you, Cynthia. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Well, I'm really excited because, you know, Sharon, once in a while we have these serendipitous meetings of the mind, and from the moment that we said hello and you pulled your book out of your purse, I mean, I thought, oh, my gosh, you're exactly the kind of person that we wanted to profile here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, you traveled outside the United States for this first time at age 17 when you won a, a Kikoman Soy Sauce Scholarship and you got to study in Japan. And from that day on, it seems like the world has truly been your playground. I'd love to talk about your, your personal journey that has led to you writing the book and chronicling all these wonderful lessons from around the world, and the book is The Journey of Life. Uh, how did, let's talk how it first came to be, the, the, the Japanese encounter, and then what your feelings were after that moment. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. So I'm really blessed to come from a very working-class family in Whitehall, Wisconsin. My mom was a teacher, and my dad was a janitor, and I loved them, I loved my hometown, but I really craved for something that was bigger than the world that I knew. It was a tiny town of 1,500 people, and um, I actually had one teacher who sort of took me under her wing, and she said, you know what, Sharon, I think you need to apply for a Kikoman Soy Sauce Scholarship, and I absolutely knew nothing about Japan, so if she had said, why don't you apply for a Curry Scholarship, I might have started with India rather than going there later, but really, I just... um, uh, accepted the challenge and landed in Japan as a 17-year-old, not knowing how to uh, say anything other than konnichiwa. Um, 
And I really, I think back to what I looked like that day with my pink jumper dress and my pull-along suitcase. Like, I was really a small-town girl arriving in Tokyo. Um, and I made it through that entire first summer just um, communicating with gestures and, and um, maybe and trying smiles, to... because smiles are the universal language. Absolutely, smiles. And I actually talk about that in my preface. Um, I remember arriving and having my host mother try to talk to me, and she was speaking in Japanese, and my host sister, and I was holding onto this big smile on my face, which I always love to smile, but it was almost one of those forced smiles, like, oh, my God, can I make it through this? <laughs> and, um, and then by the end of the summer, I decided, you know, I can make it through this, and I need to come back and have a more holistic experience. I need to be able to learn a little bit of Japanese so I could actually have a qualitative conversation with people so we could talk more about things more substantial than like the colors of our hair or something like that. So it's really sort of a simple story, but that that um, that first experience is really what inspired me to kind of, um, I decided to choose a college that also offered Japanese. So then later I went back as a you know college student where I studied along with people from around the world, and then I loved asking questions, and I loved kind of connecting people, hearing people's stories and connecting people, so I think it was like a serendipitous series of coincidences and just really kind of what you're talking about in your show, following your passion that kind of led me on that trip. It led you to your passion, and I share that with you. My first exchange student, I was called an exchange, but it was actually the same kind of thing. I went to Mexico at 16, and then after that was a teen ambassador to Holland for two years. And Amazing. I followed that with living in, um, in France, going to school. And just like you, I think once you have that initial experience of coming from a small town, or I was from a farm, and, and seeing the world, you want to connect with people, and you want to learn how they live and their cultures. And what you have done so differently than many people who travel is that when you have traveled, you always live with the people you study, you volunteer, you work, and you write about it. You, it's, uh, you've gone around the world interviewing people, which led to how you wrote your book. Right, right. Yeah, that's amazing, Cynthia, your own experience as well. How powerful. Um, it's, you know, this is why I connected. So that's, uh, as soon as I read your book, I thought, my gosh, we have many similar uh, experiences that led to who we are today. Now, one of the things you say at the beginning of your book, and again, we're talking to journalist and author Sharon Sabota, who is also the director of the Women's Resource Center at St. Mary's College in California. Her book is The Journey of Life. She says at the beginning that it's often been said that putting together a book is like birthing a child. They're very similar. And I have done both, and I will tell you that birthing a book is a bit less painful, but it <laughs> takes probably twice as long. <laughs> you know, my sister just had a baby as well, and I think I'm going to trust both of you on this issue. Yes, yes, <laughs> but, it is, but it is the same you know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of procedure because you want to do it with such care and such dignity. And you had many fabulous experiences while you were even putting this together because with your inquisitive mind, you talk to everybody. And it's, it is a lesson that throughout your book you, um, you, you ask people to embrace by saying no matter what you're doing, when you talk to people, you're going to learn something new because everybody has a story. Right, yeah, and that's really my premise. I really believe that it's really not just the people on the forefront, but also the people on the sidelines who, like everybody around you has a story, and when you have an opportunity to kind of tap into that, um, it's amazing. And so at the time I put the book together, which I should mention, um, it was inspired by a breakup because my own blueprint plan of having a husband and a child before the age of 30, like I realized, oh, my goodness, that's not going to happen what am I going to do? And then I realized, oh, it's actually perfectly fine. You're kind of blessed, I told myself, because um, I think a lot of people would love to travel, or I hear about people who want to do that and who want to meet different kinds of people, but they can come up with excuses like, oh, I don't have any money, I'm afraid, um, this or that. We can always kind of do that, and um, and those are valid excuses. I, I shouldn't necessarily use the word excuses, but those well, are reasons. you know what? I'm not sure they're valid excuses because <laughs> I would agree with you on the fact that so many people say, 
you know, I'm going to do this when I have enough money or when I uh, go to school or when I get married or when I have my first child or when I get a raise. But today is the first day of the rest of your life, to to quote a cliché. You have to just take the world by the horns and go for it, which is what you did in the moment. And sometimes we have to have something that shakes our world a bit in order to take that first step. And in your case, it was a breakup. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think the thing that happened for me is I wanted to put a moratorium on meeting people and interviewing people, and I couldn't. Like, I kept on interviewing. So even there's a, even though there's 100 lessons in the book, there's 150 or 170 people who are encapsulated within the book. But well, yeah, let's thing. talk about how you put the book together because you did at the end of your entry say, oh, gosh, you know, the final, final deadline has finally arrived and I can't do anymore. But what I loved about it is you start each chapter. There are 100 lessons. And you have these original, you've synthesized the first line with a quote or something that we can take away from every chapter. And then you talk, uh, you've interviewed the people, you have their photos, and you talk about how it's making a difference in their life. And so we were just talking about passions, and I know that one of your passions is also dancing. Right. So that had to influence the, the idea of dancing and, you know, how people can volunteer or you say they can join a book club or start a hobby no matter what it is. It's important that we engage in activities that we're passionate about. Right. Yes, I, I think that's very important to just be doing things that, that you're passionate about. Don't worry about if you're going, like sometimes I'll hear people say that they wish they could dance also, but they don't want to try that because they might look really silly or they could only do that if they were ha- going to have several drinks first. I don't think that's true at all. Um, Who cares? Think, Be silly. Right. Then you, you grow from that. That's definitely stepping outside of your comfort zone, and that's, where, when, that's when we grow. Right, absolutely. And the other thing I think I wanted to put out there is that sometimes when I'm doing my book signings, I'll get to meet lots of interesting people. And I remember one of them, I was at a Barnes & Noble, and some woman walked by, and she passed me, and she said, oh, must be nice to have money to travel. And I just thought that was so unfortunate. Um, I actually feel so blessed to come from, like, very humble roots. Um, I live in a company-provided apartment. I am not rich by any means, but I, in the financial sense, but I feel very rich in terms of life experience. And so we're talking about following passions, and I think that that would be the challenge that I'd really want to put out there for people, to just find don't think about reasons of why you can't do something, but rather just think about ways that you could make it happen. Like, oh, maybe I could put off owning a house, or I could put this other thing off to kind of really pursue what I'd like to do, which for me happens to be, you know, traveling and living like the locals as opposed to doing all the tourist destinations. And so, yeah, I think that's really one thing that I would like people to take away from this. And even if people don't want to travel they don't maybe they don't like to go in planes or something one thing you can find in my book is that it's not just people abroad like there's there's a homeless woman from oakland who was working outside the coffee shop that or she was selling the street sheet which is a homeless newspaper she was selling that um right outside the coffee shop where i was writing my book every day there's people who migrated to this country from around the world so even if people aren't comfortable to leave necessarily there's no reason why we can't um really interact with people from all walks of life. Well, see, this is one of the takeaways that I feel is so important in your book, and there are many lessons. Of course, there's over 100 here. Uh, The Journey of Life, uh, written by Sharon Sabota, is what you just said is that money has nothing to do with living your passions. And unfortunately, I believe that we live in this very materialistic society that judges one's success by the amount of money in our bank accounts. And I feel it is the amount of passion and giving back in our life accounts that makes the difference. And yeah, that's very well said. And this is what the way that you are living your life. You know, I had to chuckle uh, when you wrote here, you know, that you, you moved because of the breakup. You moved from Walnut Creek. You moved into this place in Oakland. You were supposed to have this car that couldn't be broken into and the house that was and everything bad was happening <laughs> right so, exactly it's, and so i we think just i put, have to take life 
as it comes to us, and we have to turn our stumbling blocks into stepping stones and not decide that, um, that the almighty dollar or whatever, the yen or the euro or whatever monetary equivalent you're living by is the standard of living. It's really about being inclusive. It's about being forgiving. It's about loving, living, laughing, having integrity, giving back, and making a difference. And this yeah, is totally what you were doing every single day. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I, I even think sometimes the people that I'm, some people that I interact with, I think even bigger than, um, like other people put pressures on us for sure, but I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We think, oh, my goodness, if I do so-and-so, what is that person going to think about me? And at some point... Um, I think one of my students taught me the most a couple of years ago. I worked with this young woman who said she learned this really important lesson from her mom, and that lesson was, what other people think of me is not my business. And I think I just thought that was a very clever way to really remind us to be very grounded within ourselves, to put our best self forward. And it is a great quote, and I have to tell you, when I grew up, my sisters and I had another thing that we always said, and it, it was, you mad at me, you hate my guts, you think I'm na- nasty, think I'm nuts, tough, your problem. <laughs> I love it. That's great, and too. So, you know, I mean, what you're saying is, it, is totally our philosophy because we, I totally believe in we have to smile, have fun, and be wild and crazy. And being wild and crazy means you go out on that limb, you take a risk, because that's where the fruit is, that's where you grow. Failure is fertilizer. Put it on the compost pile. Grow a new garden. It doesn't even matter. Go, be willing to fail. Be willing just to, to go out there. And this is what I love about the book is that you have interviewed the everyday person to famous people. I loved your interview with Fidel Castro because we here, you know, have always not known very much about Cuba, but it sounds like, and I, that's one of the places I have not visited, like such a very happy place and where people have are educated and they're 99% literate. How fantastic is that? Well, I want to ask you, is there a website we could send our listeners to? Sure. There's a few websites. Um, so there's interculturalencounters.org, and um, the book is also available. I've made a Kindle version available right now as well, and I made that. I wanted it to be very accessible, so the Kindle version is available on Amazon for just $2.99. Oh, uh, The Journey of Life, you can get the Kindle version at Amazon.com, The Journey of Life by Sharon Sabota. So that would be a great thing. Otherwise, give out the website. That's where I went to, and go ahead and spell it. So interculturalencounters.org is my direct website, and it's also on Barnes & Noble, or you could also, um, if you even um, Google my name, you'll find a number of different outlets. And her name is spelled S-O-B-O-T-T-A. That's correct. And can I mention one other thing really quickly? Absolutely. Please mention something about the Women's Resource Center. Oh, I sure will. Okay. Um, So one thing that I I did with my own book is I decided to apply a lesson a day to see what would happen. I wanted to make sure that I was really being congruent, that I was practicing what I preached. And so while applying, I think it was lesson number eight, um, that that was a particular lesson about kind of trying new things or actually I have my book in front of me. I should just really quickly glance at it. I was seeking unconventional and unpractical knowledge. So while doing that, I decided, you know what, I've never applied. I've, I've done radio. I've studied TV. I've never, or I'm sorry, I hadn't done radio. i just done print and TV. So I decided to do a radio fellowship just sort of as my fun little project for the lesson. And now that's my thing that I do on weekends. And so it's always fun for me to hear about what people come up with when they're applying the lessons to their life and kind of seeing how that fits. Um, and I should so mention... how can people hear you on the air? Oh, they could... They, you can Google... If you Google my name, you'll find some of my um, podcasts, but I'm on the 6 p.m. evening news on kpfa.org. On KPFA, and KPFA was one of the sponsors, our media sponsor for our 10th anniversary. Well, we are actually out of time. You know how that goes when you're in the radio world. Absolutely. So pick up a copy of The Journey of Life, 100 Lessons from Around the World by Sharon Sabota. You can get it on Amazon or go to interculturalencounters.org. Sharon, I know that we are going to connect much more. Uh, we have a lot, a lot more playing to do together. 
Cynthia, it's been a pleasure, and it's I look forward to having you, you so um, coming here as our guest on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you to all of you out there for being great listeners and allowing us into your life each week. Make sure you are tuned in with me, Cynthia Bryan, and, of course, Heather Brittany, so that you can get this expert advice and have fun and make a success of your own life. For more information about Be the Star You Are charity, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. May there be peace within you today. May you trust your highest power that you are exactly where you're meant to be. May you let the present settle into your bones and allow your soul the freedom to sing, to dance, and to bask in the sun. And remember when you go out into the world that no one has walked in your exact combination of strengths, weaknesses, and skills. You're one of a kind. You are you, and you have the power to love yourself and be the person you were meant to be. My aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate. And until next week when we celebrate again, I am Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style. And I thank you and encourage you. Be the star you are. We'll play next week. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are nonprofit corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a secret.